and welcome to Talking Business with me, Danny Pardo. In these interviews, we'll be exploring employability insights, career advice, educational experiences, life stories and more from a wide variety of people in a wide variety of industries with the ultimate aim of helping you to make decisions about your studies and your career. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review, share and subscribe to this podcast. It's all very much appreciated. So here we go. Let's talk business. Hello everyone, we are talking business with another one of our special transport related episodes here and we've got William with us today. William, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, pleased to be here. Super and thank you very much for volunteering your time. Uh, You you know, really do appreciate you giving up time to speak to students and help them along. Um, But thing is though, who, I mean, who is William? Who are we talking to today? Oh wow! Uh, yeah, so uh, you can call me Will, by the way. I prefer, Will it is. Yeah, <laughs> great. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm a Staffordshire born and bred lad. Um, I went to a, a, a comprehensive school in Lichfield, um, and I um, did my GCSEs and my A levels, uh, and then I kind of got this bug for, for for transport. And so from from that point onwards, I've um, yeah, loved loved the subject, a bit nerdy, but it's something that yeah. I've always had a bit of a passion for. Um, and so I, I proceeded um, in my uh, career into, into transport. I um, did my GCSEs, I say, my A-levels, and then I um, took further studies into this transport field. Right. So you've been very interested in, you know, we don't come across many people like yourself where you actually decide at quite an early age that this is what I'm interested in and I'm going to stick with it and roll with it. Um, what A-levels did you do, if you don't mind me asking? I did I did geography, English and history, but geography was my passion or is my passion. Right. And it's always been, um, I've always, I don't know, loved the urban kind of area and just how planning and how mm-hmm. transport connected people. And it's always been that sort of invisible glue. Everybody sort of takes it mm-hmm. for, for granted. And oh, yes. it's that kind of like, I just, that, I find that fun quite fascinating it's sort of you only notice it when it's not there as in you know you only notice mm. these things when when something goes wrong and, and yeah. but for the rest of the time it's kind of you know you I say you just take it for granted and it was just something that I kind of like oh I, I want to know how this works and how how it helps people and how there's you know how it provides that brilliant. connectivity and how, how it links everybody together and you know absolutely brilliant and what was your degree in then did I, I presume it built upon that Yes. So, I, yeah, I did a degree in, in geography um, right. and I, I, I specialised in, uh, say, transport and, mm-hmm. um, and kind of the human human side of it and the planning. And, um, yeah, and I did that down in Plymouth. Um, right. So it was kind of I couldn't get much further away from home. It was that kind of <laughs> I think I wanted to have a bit of distance between me and my um, me and my folks and having yeah. that bit of independence. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I went right down to the to, to the southwest to learn fascinating so so we've got you know you, you've obviously got that passion for it you've had it for quite a while now you know so as we as we move forward then so what do you do now and how have you turned that passion from when you were studying into that you are still employed in the industry now what's your job role and uh, I, I guess this question is going to take us a while to answer but uh, what do you do <laughs> <laughs> so at the moment I'm yeah I'm a project manager within uh, transport for West Midlands but perhaps it might be worth okay. just saying how I, how I got into this uh, initially yeah, yeah please yeah so I, 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 I've always, as I say, had a, had, had a, a massive interest in transport and, and I was lucky enough through my studies to be able to, 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 to sort of focus on that a bit more. And when I was um, down, in, down in Plymouth, there were some big transport schemes happening at the time. And I've just, I've, I volunteered a little bit down there just to, um, uh, just, just to kind of, um, you know, get involved and, and to see, you know, shadowing a few, few sort of officers and that sort of thing. And that enabled me to then um, move into this area of work, transport planning in particular. Um, and it's always seemed to be a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a nerdy kind of, um, uh, subject area but actually it's far from it it is really it's, it's, it's challenging but it's also exciting and it that has then led me um, to, to move back home actually to, to, to the Birmingham area and I worked at Birmingham Council for, for, for quite a few years on the transport development side of things so that's looking and it was all sorts of different uh, project areas um, and different modes of transport so whether it was um, highway schemes or, or active travel and cycling and walking 
Um, and there also the behavioural change side of things. And that's quite an interesting mm -hmm. area in itself about how people view travel and how they want to, um, how, you know, how they want to be able to, 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 to be connected to other people and to employment. Um, but then um, as sort of opportunities arose, I then worked for a bit in working on the HS2 project for the region. Um, but then I then, you know, the Commonwealth Games uh, came mm. to, is coming to, coming to, to town and I was like yeah I really want to be able to have um, uh, you know be able to contribute to that and so this position as a project manager came up um, within Transport for West Midlands and so um, I, I you know I was lucky enough to, to, to secure that position with the experience that I'd got up to now with all the different projects um, areas that I've been working uh, on and um, so that has enabled me to and be able uh, to, to, to now really be part of this fantastic opportunity for, for, for the region. Um, and so the actual job itself, um, it's, it's, as I say, it's a project manager position, um, but it's not, a, not in the true um, sort of project management um, kind of how you would imagine it to be in the sense of we're not necessarily building something with a clear um, you know, this this is the beginning, and this is the um, you know these are all the components that you need to do to build this. This is about bringing together all the different people and all of the different uh, uh, areas that will make up um, the spectator requirements for getting people yeah. to the games. So there's a, a massive team behind uh, the uh, spectator side. So we're working for Transport for West Midlands, and that will help with getting spectators to the venues. Um, but of course, there is the organising committee for the Commonwealth Games that is doing all of the, you know, all, all of the athlete side of things and mm -hmm. and um, actually building the venues and, and and coordinating. But our job mm -hmm. is looking at, as I say, getting spectators to the venues. So there is a whole complex um, approach to this. You know, there's going to be like over a million spectators coming to the games. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's big, big numbers. So we've got to look at how do we move those spectators. How do we get them from um, their, their, where they'll be arriving in the city? So, you know, if they're arriving at Birmingham New Street, how do we get them down to um, whether it's Edgbaston uh, Cricket Club? How do we get them over to Stanwell Valley? So there's whole teams of, uh, of, of colleagues that are, are actually looking at um, and planning for this movement of, of, of people. And my role is to help to plan that um, and to put the so we have like a project plans um, so we're looking at right we've got we've got a pathway to get us to games from now and all the planning to actually games time what do we need to do for all these separate areas to bring it all together to have an integrated transport planning approach for the games um, and so that that that's kind of a key key area of the work really is to to bring together all of the the, the individual leads that are taking forward whether they're planning for rail or planning for bus um, for spectator bus that is or for um, you know all the park and ride sites that will be created how are we making sure that all of this comes together so it provides a a slick and smooth um experience for the spectator so basically like what i said at the beginning that you don't even notice you know it's a sort of you arrive in the city and there's just a slick approach where you kind of get onto your um you know onto the spectator bus that takes you to the venue and you don't even you know it, you don't it just happens it. it just happens it just and happens. yeah and this is the, and that's what i love about the, the whole transport planning side of things there is so much that goes on behind the scenes in in oh, yeah. putting it all together but it's for me the, the, the it's the customer experience in that they mm. if they don't even notice it that that's a win it, you know it all absolutely you know just, just flows so smoothly that's fascinating so you know without you and your team and all those people working there people like me and my students and all the other students listening to this we can't go to the games can we you know it's great having all the athletes from all across the world and all the advertising and the mascots and, and the television coverage but without you and your team we can't physically attend this amazing spectacle can we you know that, that obviously shows the importance of what you and your team are doing there and you spoke a little bit there then about different types of transport 
Um, I wanted to quickly mention, maybe not quickly mention, the car. Um, and the reason I say the car is because, you know, a lot of students now learning to drive. Um, and then I come out with all these things in class about, yeah, but what they're doing is we do, we've got a clean air zone coming. We've got this. We've got e-scooters. We've got the tram coming in. And they're looking at me like, yeah, but I'll have a car. Um, so <laughs> what's going on with, say, car transport and, and how's that tying into the games? Is that And you mentioned, I think, park and ride scheme. So I presume that'll be a big part of it. Uh, how are you integrating the good old fashioned car into the Commonwealth Games kind of plan? Or are we looking at a more multimodal use in the next year or so? Yeah, well, we're certainly looking at multimodal. It's, it's, it's going to be a sustainable game. So we are very much promoting public transport and, you know, providing that uplift for the game so that we can provide that extra capacity so people mm -hmm. will want to travel to the venues by public transport. And that's not to say, obviously, we will, um, you know, we do need to cater for, for movement of athletes mm -hmm. and um, and for the game's family. So what I perhaps I should, should also say, there is there a big... Um, area of work about what's called the games route network so that is about making sure that um, athletes can move by their their you know the relative modes of transport to, between their training venues and the um uh, and, and the competition venues as well so there is there will be some um transport provision um private transport provision but also um, enabling the spectators to, um, sorry, the athletes to, to to move around between those those competition and non-competition venues, but um, we really want to try to discourage people driving to the venues, um, and that's why you know provision will be um, kind of will be curtailed. There is an acknowledgement that obviously, as I say, with the park and ride uh, facilities. Um, that there will be some people that, you know, and you know, there will be a lot of people that will want to drive to as close as they can to the venues. But, as, but, the, but what we're trying to then encourage is a modal shift so that they then travel that final section of the journey by, by public transport, um, whatever those provisions will be, so whether it's park and ride or, or rail. Um, as in bus-based park and ride or rail mm. um, or you know obviously um, active travel as well you know if we can encourage people that, 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 that we want we want local people to be able to get to the games and you know if they can walk and cycle to the to, to the venues that there will be provision provided for that um, yeah. as part of the, um, the the traffic management operations um, there will be needs to, to kind of cater for um, uh, you know for accessibility to making sure that we uh, that that everybody um can can get to the to, to, to the venues um and that nobody is um you, you know is left out and so that there's that equality kind of uh, approach that making sure that say accessibility is at the heart of what we're doing and that, that those people that need to get to the close to the venue are able to get to the close to are able to get close to the venue and accessible shuttles and that um, and those sort of um uh, modes will be will be made available but principally particularly about close to the venues we will be restricting um access um for, 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 for spectators you know there will not be um it will, we will try to restrict it by having um, temporary measures in place uh, immediately around the venues because then that also enables public transport access to be free flowing um, that we don't have um, you know uh, cars parked in places that prevent the buses from accessing the venues and that sort of thing so there might be temporary restrictions in places so and um, that'll be part of a wider wider piece of work because obviously there'll be lots of engagement and we need to make sure that we are catering for particularly people that are living around the venues you know we need to make yeah. sure that they can obviously access everything they need to be able to access but also a key part of the of, of the games as well is the, there's the whole business as usual thing so there's going to be lots of people mm. that aren't doing anything in relation to the games you know they're just they're, they're, they're going up and down the a34 by alexander yes, stadium but they're not going it. to the game just going to so, work and going to visit going to people or, where yeah. these people come from? so you know we, and that's again part of the transport planning approach it's like we need to make sure that there is um a business as usual that that people can still go about their daily business so that's what we're trying to, um, you know, to plan for as well. And to support that, there would be a, a, a wider traffic, um, a transport demand, uh, travel, uh, sorry, a travel demand management package to kind of make sure that there is um, awareness um, of, you know, so, so that people can make those decisions early on how they're going to travel. Um, you know, are, either are they going to the games or are they um, trying to avoid getting 
um, you know, go, go into areas where there might be a lot of activity around the venues and what are their options and their travel choices. Yeah. So again, it's all part yeah. of that blended approach, really, to making sure that yeah. we are catering for the spectators who want to get to the venues, but trying to make sure that um, there's business as usual for those those people that are just going yeah. about their daily business. Definitely. And, you you know, as a Birmingham resident of of many years, and I'm a bit further out now over in Sandwell, um, but but I know the areas very well. And University of Birmingham now seems to really have that feel of, oh, this is what multimodal is. The fact that in, in, say, a year or so's time with uh, the hockey being played at the the university on their grounds there, the, the fact that you can, the train station, the buses, the, the metro tram running to Edgebaston, the cycle route, the uh, e-scooters, which are, seems to be hundreds of them around uh, the university looking at the app. That really feels like, oh, that's potentially the future of all these big venues. And, and you're right, you know, you've still got the QE Hospital next to University of Birmingham. You've got the, the packed residential streets. You've got supermarkets and shopping centres and all that. You know, it's not going to turn off for a week, is it? You're not going to close those for, for a couple of weeks while the Games is running. So um, has University of Birmingham been like a, a, a focal point? I mean, I guess all the venues have. But in terms of trying to get all those things in, how has University of Birmingham kind of dealt with that and, and are there more things coming or, or are, you, are you feeling confident about what you've got around that area now? Uh, for, for the games, yeah. I mean, there's still, yeah. there's still at this point in time, you know, we're kind of, what, 16 months out. So there's still lots of mm-hmm. work to do. Um, obviously, there's still the, the planning for the for the Athletes Village at University of Birmingham, as well as the, the venues there. But there is, you know, we are very, um, and working with the organising committee, obviously, very closely, there's Transport for West Midlands and the organising committee, and obviously Birmingham City Council, um, you know, uh, it, there's a lot happening in that area. And um, so there is a lot of planning still to do, but no, very much that, that it is about trying to make sure that everybody is catered for. You know, you've got all yeah. of that activity at the hospital as well. So it is, it's going to be difficult to, to uh, it's a challenge to make sure that, that everything works there. And at the moment, I say colleagues are working on all the, all the transport modelling. So all of that kind of looking at how the traffic currently moves around the network in that, in that location. Um, you know, if there are any restrictions, how do we make sure that places stay open? You know, like the the the, the um, as we've got the the, the uh, art institute down there as well. Mm. Um, you know, all those different components that that are at play, and that's what I like about the, the you know the challenge of transport planning generally. You know, is how do we make sure that all of this um, is able to keep to keep operating? But I think that's yeah. where um, you know the public transport offering as part of the games will be a real key element making sure that we've got great access via the rail network and enhancing um, university station and the uplift that we will uh, be looking to provide along the A38 corridor um, so that we've got the spectators are um, able to use those modes as well as you say that you know the electric scooters and goodness Mm -hmm. knows what else is um, you know all the um, um, kind of on-demand sort of uh, te- uh, modes that might be available then as well autonomous vehicles and goodness knows what um, but it is about um, making sure that we do cater for the existing demands on that on that area but it, it, I say it's not going to be easy because it's a really intense <laughs> period and you've got a lot of people going into those locations but as I say as part of the work that the team are, are working on you know it's, it's, it's about understanding that demand um, that of spectators and the number of people wanting to get to that site and so there's a lots of kind of all the number crunching that colleagues are, uh, are working on oh, sort of and that, yeah that they can do all the traffic modeling so anybody that's interested in data and um you know working out solutions and understanding how flows and all that kind of data analytics goes and mapping wow. you know there's again transport planning and transport uh, uh engineering and all that really you know there, there's a so much opportunity there to really explore if that sort of thing is um you know kind of floats your boat but but using that information after all that number crunching we can then look at right where is what's our current demand um, and what's our current kind of capacity on the network um, and then what's the gap so you know right so I don't know there's a currently a, a thousand bus space bus seats and we've got two thousand people needing to be at a location at a certain time right so we need to find we need to get an extra thousand um uh, seats on buses so you know we need to get an extra what's it 150 buses in that area and then how do we cater for that so you know, that's the kind of the nuts and bolts that that, that a lot of the colleagues are, are working on i say my, my job is more about um bringing all those elements together and 
and then sort of tracking the progress of how, of how everybody's doing and then we can display that to the organizing committee and to and to other wow. um, key delivery partners on how that spectator piece is coming together and how it's been um, yeah. how it's been managed and when you're talking there about organizing committee key partners um, you're talking about getting extra bus routes in and things like that one of the first things in one of our first units on, on the course that we deliver for students is about stakeholders and you've just naturally kind of uh, said quite a few different stakeholders there. And we talk about stakeholder conflicts and what the different stakeholders want and things. So how important is then communication between all these different stakeholders? Because obviously you can't operate in your own little bubble. You can't just do your thing and go, yeah, well, we did our job, you know, and, and have that kind of uh, image about it. So, so, I mean, how are you communicating with all these different stakeholders and, and um kind of keeping both those lines open to make sure that the games can run well i mean it's yeah it's it's a big big challenge um and but every i think the end the end goal is what everybody is is focused on so that yeah. partnership approach and collaboration is absolutely key um i think the at the from the outset it's understanding um Kind of the roles and responsibilities right who is actually doing what and when and working together to make sure that there is a clear understanding and i think but once you get that base right and that everybody's you know it, it's then right how do we now integrate all of this how do we make sure that how everybody's planning is coming together um enables us to, to to work together as a team and then that communication then is really is that key point um it's about being able to um uh, work with each other to uh, understand and, and and kind of um manage expectations of when things will be delivered but giving that clear um you know having visibility of of, of when things are going to happen but also when there are challenges and and it's, it's about just talking to be honest with you a lot of the time it's about okay where's what what's the problem um or where's the issue and how can we work together to to mitigate um those um you know those issues or and also having sharing kind of and the, any any of the risks as well so we know that this could potentially be a risk um, you know, whatever it is. Um, but again, working with partners, just getting everybody together to, to, to try and say, right, so that's the problem that you're facing at the moment. If we did this, if we can do that, um, you know, would that help? Compromise as well. But I think, as you say, having those communication channels wide open and everybody working together to try to, you know, make it the best games um, it, it is key. But I say stakeholder stakeholder management is, is 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 it is really difficult at times because you know there can be quite difficult um um uh, you know problems to get over but quite often as well it's been quite been evidence-based as well rather than yeah. you know it's like what actually is it what actually is causing yeah. the problem how can we you know identifying that and then yeah. trying to mitigate it you know trying to find solutions to be able to say well we might not be able to do this but how about that what about this and yeah. working and, and, and getting everybody together it's it's so yeah. important um and I bet it must be, you know, quite a challenge, uh, obviously, with COVID hitting and, and we're doing this, um, you know, you're obviously in your home and uh, I am, believe it or not, you know, might just sort of borrow <laughs> the green screen here. But, uh, um, you know, obviously having to do that then virtually uh, as well or, or online as well, causing those extra issues for you. Is that something you've got used to a little bit now? Yeah, it has. Um, I think for me personally, I've, I would much prefer to be in the office and that because yeah. it makes collaboration even internally um sort of within our our teams and organization i think i think that collaboration is um more slick because you know it's just a case of wandering over to somebody's desk and you know just a two-minute conversation can clear up an issue whereas trying to do it over email or booking a slot in somebody's you know calendar to you know to then have a talk with them and they can't you can't see them for yeah. You, know, <laughs> you know that sort of thing so i think that yeah. does make it clunky but um you know we're, we're all in the same boat and we are working mm -hmm. you know we are working very well together and i think this goes back to the communication piece i think what we're just having to be is a bit is, is more um more efficient at, at um communicating and you know and, it, and there is a lot of um meetings where it is on you know online and it's um you know we but we have the a governance sort of a, a, a process in place where you know you have regularly regular catch-ups we have mm -hmm. monthly meetings of different boards and different groups 
and um, and the reporting process as well. So um, I mean that's probably the driest part of of the project management is is that kind of monthly update. You know, sit down with the leads, assuming, and obviously you have those discussions during the month as well. But then you have a point at each month where you say, right, so we're going to actually start to put down on pen and paper um you know what what's actually been achieved this month what's going to be you know what we're looking to do next month where have we got some issues where have we got you know where and those sort of things and then that mm. then feeds into the wider um sort of more formal uh, communication structures but i i think i personally would I, i'm looking forward to getting back into the office and okay. say having those more uh, casual conversations and you know and also it helps to build up relationships i think like mm. I, I started my um job whilst you know whilst in lockdown uh, in this particular area and um although you know it's been great you know really strong team i think you know having those conversations sort of in the uh, you know whilst making a cup of tea in the in the in the yeah. staff kitchen you know you get to know people and you get to yeah. you know you can have those um those those sort of offline discussions you know like how was your day and all that sort of thing whereas I think with the the virtual world it's a lot more can be a lot more transactional you know it's a bit mm. you know it's like right, we've got an hour you know, we've yeah, got a, must do work yeah that's <laughs> yeah. it yeah um, and that's so the same here you know with, with education as well and I was ch chatting to um, uh, Dean an old friend of mine in another episode he's a graphic designer and he was saying exactly what you're saying that just to be able to you know he was saying there used to be three or four of them in, in on their little desks and they could just shout at each other and say, have you got this? Send me that file. Rather than, are they available? Do I need to call them? Do I need to Zoom them? Do I need to email them? Is their internet working? Are they at their computer? All these things that in 30 seconds can be just solved in an office. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what you're talking about. I just say, and for me as well, it's also because... because um, when you kind of in an open office environment um and yeah. then the students once you start to to, to to move into into employment areas you you can kind of listen to sort of what other colleagues are saying and then you say well actually we're doing this or or you know you can start to 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 listen to what's happening around you what other colleagues are you know what any of their issues that they might be facing in their workplace you know yeah. it's like well actually if we do this or come in with this meeting because we're going to go and talk about this and it might help you you know those sort of conversations yeah that actually you know that, that are kind of you don't even realize how important they are yes. until you're not having them and I think that's yeah. that, that's really difficult at the moment I think yeah. I I feel as though that's where I'm missing out on it's just that general of the office conversations that happen yeah um yeah that, that, that social interaction, you know, the, the, the conversations that we have, you know, you, you can link it all to mental health and all those things as well. But we are social creatures at the end of the day. Um, the majority of us do need to be around other people and have discussions about things other than work. Um, and we have missed that a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask uh, something personal for me before I get back onto our questions. And that's about cycling, um, as I like to ride a bike every now and again um, and commute to work on it sometimes. Never the weather's getting a bit nicer and uh, get my fitness levels back up to where they were. Um, but there's been a lot going on with cycling in Birmingham, the A38, the A34 being just brilliant examples of what can be done and with the right investment in the right places. And it's great to see, I mean, I haven't used the A34, but I use the A38 one quite a bit. To see that busy uh, is just fantastic. So what else is happening with cycling in Birmingham and the West Midlands, maybe towards the games? Um, am I right in thinking there's a bike hire scheme coming in soon? Um, I don't know if I read that right. So is there anything else that we can kind of think about with regards to cycling and is it a focus of the games? Yeah, there, there is certainly a focus on it. Um, so we have a, an active travel uh, lead that is working with um, the local authorities um, and obviously with the organising committee um, with the view that we can uh, have, uh, not necessarily for all venues, <coughs> excuse me, but um, where we, uh, uh, you know, where, where there is a good uh, propensity to, 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 to cycle there will be routes and then there will be dedicated provision at the venues to to um, you know to obviously be able to to, to park your uh, the bicycles and encourage right. active travel and walking as well and looking at where we can we can really enhance that that offering so you know Edgebaston and the university are great examples where there is there is existing yeah. infrastructure which we can really um you know use and, and promote um i suppose the one thing with the games is that um it's not necessarily going to build brand new infrastructure for every venue 
So it is uh, looking at those and being being pragmatic of you know where can we really um, you know push active travel and then in other areas where is it where we need to look at the um, travel demand management approach and actually there might not necessarily be dedicated um, segregated provision for cycling but there is still lots of back uh, street routes that can be used so it's about how do we promote those quieter routes to um, to, to, to venues and yeah. making sure that there is that offering uh, there um, but I say where there is dedicated um, provision and off-road provision um, then then yes there will certainly be a big push and we would really want to see as many people um, you know being active and, and traveling to, to, to the venues um, where we can um, and obviously all the the, the, the um, the, the cycle hire as well is obviously provides opportunities to people that can cycle to a train station and it is that part of uh, of linking those different modes of transport so it might be that actually even just cycling to your train station and then jumping on the train to then complete the journey you know it's those sort of things that we will be promoting as well if we can't promote sort of you know every venue has a dedicated um cycle route to it you know how can we encourage active travel to 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 then um get to public transport to then get to the venue. Um, that's kind of um, some of the approach. What I would say is at the moment, we're still in the early stages of what the actual routes and the networks will be for those venues, but it is certainly a focus that we are, you know, that we are wanting to uh, to progress. And it does bolt into the whole kind of sustainable games and how we can get people to be active yeah. and, and, yeah. And, and to be, you know, kind of doing that modal shift, making sure that people definitely know that there are definitely. choices other than jumping in the car yeah. to get to, to get to the venue yeah. that there is a choices is such a yeah choices is such a key word that you've used there it's, it's such a massive word but you know we're really I, I'm trying to bring out in my lessons and, and you and your team are obviously trying to bring that out and we are trying to shift like you said you know behavioral patterns um I've always done it this way therefore I will always do it this way and you know we can't kind of roll with that anymore can we you know we, we've got to change things um what about are you starting to feel the pressure yet you said we're 16 months out and you've been working on it for for a while now um i guess about a year or so yeah. um are, are you and your team starting to feel the pressure yet are you uh, you know are there deadlines that you're thinking oh my word this is this is happening now uh, what's what's that kind of feel yeah, like for I you think and your team personally yeah i can i think last year there was a lot of kind of right well you know we're just getting sort of getting all the different components together this is what we're going to look to need to do and we're, of course you know in in 2020 it was like well the games are in 2022 so it's sort of you know we've still got a bit of breathing space it's sort of like yeah whereas no now you know you've hit the nail on the head the, the pressure is starting to build now it's like actually you know we, i think we've recently just passed the 500 days mark and when you start looking it's like oh yeah, yeah there's a right. lot to do there's still a lot to do and yeah the it's it's i think now it's this this year is really the year that we've got to get everything aligned and planned and kind of you know making sure that everybody knows what they're doing ready for next year because we need to start you know sort of this time next year we're starting to be testing things so we need to make sure that you know, we've got all the operators on board that, that all of the um all the all the stakeholders are aware of what's happening and when mm. and obviously we've got to do all of the comms and engagement with all of the all of the residents and uh, that are around the venues so there is a lot to do and we've still you know the, we're still at the point where um you know we've still got a bit of breathing space to be able mm. to change things of course the biggest thing at the moment that is um kind of uh uh, in, it could 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 swing things is obviously covid and how how could that influence what happens um during during the game so we're still you know still planning for full games you know full um yeah. stadiums and all of that but that's perhaps our biggest or one of our biggest risks at the moment mm -hmm. and depending on how that plays out i guess the autumn would be a, a time when we sort of see what what impact that has but that of course that could influence our planning but at the moment we're kind of yeah we're, we're feeling the pressure but we're still mm -hmm. you know we know what we've got to do we know when we've got to do yeah. it and we've got time to do it and and so, so we're yeah. i think now we just just got to knuckle down and and, and that's it yeah done. <laughs> exactly yeah you know your team's in place you're all skilled qualified experienced you know now you just it's again we'll take it for granted just do it you know make it all work will you please will you know make sure <laughs> make sure i can take my daughter to gymnastics will you please we would appreciate that um but yeah and in terms of taking it for granted now i'm going to ask you a question here that that students ask me and it 
riles me up. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna, if I'm listening, fine. You know, I'm being honest with you. But they say to me, "What's the point?" Okay, what's the point in the games? And I rattle off my usual spiel, you know, by bringing in the the, the legacy, the economy, the uh, the global reach, uh, the the television, the tourists afterwards, and things like that. But to somebody who's actually working in the games, you know, and your team, and you're seeing all these hundreds and potentially thousands of people working on getting this event, but it's only a couple of weeks, as the students keep reminding me, um, it's only a couple of weeks. What is the point in bringing it to Birmingham, if you don't mind me asking such a big question <laughs> like that? Well, okay, I mean, I'll just have to answer it from my own sort of personal perspective. Please do, yeah, yeah. For me, um, it's 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 a catalyst, I, I see it as, you know, for me, it's really helped to, 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 to start getting things really moving so Perry Bar is a great example you know love it or loathe it you know the flyover coming down all of that sort of work that that regeneration in that area I just think is immense and it's been something that um, has been kind of thought about and and um, and considered for quite a few years internally you know how can we really invest in those areas and I just think that that to me you know the Commonwealth Games is a massive catalyst to, to really get infrastructure uh, up and running and to be able you know new new investment and yeah. i think also in in, in a, you know covid times for, for me it's something to look forward to for the city and the region to look forward to you know pray to god that in this time next year we've got the pandemic behind us and what a way to celebrate and to bring everybody Oof. together you know and to really just just show what this region can do and how we can you know put on a good event and just say to the world we are you know we're open we're ready and we're ready to you know, you know to take on the world sort of thing and i just think it will, it's a real good vibe it's a real good confidence builder you know Birmingham always seems to put itself down, you know, it's always mm. a bit of brummy bashing. And actually, this is this is an opportunity to say, no, we are, you know, we are brilliant. We can really do this. We can put on a fabulous event. We've got the infrastructure behind us. And, you know, we've got the people working on it and and we've got the spectators to, to bring the event alive. And I say it is that um, it, it's, it's, it's that catalyst as well to, to really be able to bring forward, uh, a, you know, a great region. And um, yeah, it is. There is a lot of money being spent on it. Yeah, there is. But it's but that, that's when you, you know, we've got new facilities. So Samwell, you know, with the Aquatic Centre, you know, we'll have a brand new, fantastic facility, which would be a great oh, yeah. Um, you know, lots of and, and then um, with, the, with the stadium as well it will be you know top quality um, facilities there um, and uh, you know it, it is bringing in as you said in um, in your introduction as well you know the, the 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 actual revenue that it will bring to the city you know all the hotels being full the restaurants hopefully being full um, you know all of that sort of buzz about the city there will be lots of spin-offs um, for, for, for businesses and for, for, for residents and yeah, there is employment opportunities um, um, uh, as part of the games, but also as a legacy side for employment. Yeah, okay, it's two weeks, but you know, if you can volunteer or if you know if if, if you're able to get paid employment, that gives you a great sort of springboard into other um, employment opportunities following the games. Yeah. You know, say you've volunteered, you've been part of it, that can then be a transferable skill to be able to, and then that's a legacy in itself. Gives you, you know, so so I think there's there's lots of lots of different components um, that that I, I think makes it a brilliant uh, opportunity yeah. for the for, for the for the city and yeah. for the region. And you said catalyst there, which is a word I haven't heard mentioned before uh, when I've asked people about this, but I think, again, you, you've really touched on it there. I, I know Sandwell quite well. I know where the Aquatic Centre is going. I worked in that area for a few years. And to think that that will be an, an Aquatic Centre that is going to host international competition that will be seen around the world in Sandwell, you know, where I, I, I used to work and, and still don't live far from there. I drive past that kind of area all the time. Like, that's going to be on the television in Australia. What? Um, and how fantastic is that? You know, it's just, it's absolutely mind blowing. And I love that, that, that Birmingham is going to be seen globally like that. And, you know, hopefully with full houses, thanks to, uh, you know, teams like yourself and uh, getting through COVID, hopefully. Um, yeah. And, and you mentioned the keyword that you said volunteer and you said yourself you'd volunteered. And, and again, the point of these episodes as well is to try and show students different people's opinions. So I spoke to the director of an animal sanctuary the other day and I said, what advice would you give to students? And he said, volunteer. And everybody keeps going on about it. And am I right? It's something like 10,000 volunteers needed. Is, is that right? Uh, it is something like that. I've 
college that I can't remember the pig off the top of my head, but yeah, yes, it, it, yeah. it's something like it. It's, it's a phenomenal amount, and, the, and there's yeah. so much to, to, to do as well in different areas. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's just something that I think is definitely yeah. you know worth worth progressing, and it helped me, um, you know, to get to get going in my career as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, what are the students going to get if they, if they do volunteer? What are they going to get? Because they say to me, "Do you get paid?" And I say, "No, that's the whole point of volunteering." And then you yeah. see a few faces drop, and a few faces go. Well, it still sounds all right. So, for those people who actually do it, what are they going to get out of it? Being as though you've done it yourself, um, what do you get out of volunteering? Well, for me, it's it's the, the, there's two things actually. It, right. Obviously, it is the um, it's it's the ability to just follow and listen and understand what's going on. So, it's a knowledge yeah. kind of building thing, but also um you know it displays that you are actually prepared to do something you know to actually go go forward and and um kind of show willing in what you want to do rather than saying something you know i want to do this you've actually can prove well i've actually volunteered and i've actually used my own time to actually commit to this and and also then you know you might get a good reference from the person that you volunteered um you know with and then that opens up doors then because then you've got something on your cv if you haven't got any work experience such um you know in an office environment if that's the way, or i don't know wherever it might be that, that you, you seek this volunteering from that that is then your your kind of um unique selling point to when you go into interviews where you say i've done this and and that that speaks volumes and that's what oh, opens yeah. then opens doors to say you've actually done something to try to to make a difference in how you're going to progress your career and mm. it is you know not many people have things land in the lap and things happen for them you have to kind of yeah. go out and make them happen and little things just volunteering that can really just be that can prove that you are wanting to do it and and, and then that opens doors um, yeah. you know, so. And it's a competitive world out there, isn't it, for for the job market, for students. You know, I've said many times that I don't envy them. Um, I, I've been there and done it and I've had, um, I think I'm at 21 jobs in total in my life. Um, and I've had this one for about 12. So that <laughs> shows you how, how fluid my employment was during that time. But the experience you get from that and the things you can learn are, are just priceless you know yeah, um we're uh, chatting to you know the director of the animal sanctuary even if you find out you don't want to do it even if you find out you know what office work is not for me i did two weeks and i never want to step foot in another one great tick it off your list you know move it, on <laughs> to, to something else exactly. work outdoors you know um definitely that's it that's it yeah that is so it's so important i mean i i was lucky because i kind of knew what i wanted to do um, yeah. But yeah, exactly. That volunteering opens up that, you know, that, that knowledge of, yeah, I, it might help you focus on what you do want and certainly explore what you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do let's do one more transport question. Then I want to ask so, for some uh, kind of advice from you for students. Um, what's what do you see happening in Birmingham and West Midlands in the next 10 years or so? Then the Games will finish next August 2022. Um, and then what for Birmingham? Because we've spoke about things like uh, the petrol car ban, the diesel car ban, clean air zones and the way things are changing in Birmingham and improved metro routes, expansions and things. How do you see the next five to 10 years in Birmingham going transport wise? Oh, wow. Um, I think for me, I mean, I think HS2 will be a, quite a, a game changer for, for Birmingham and the region in the sense of physical presence of infrastructure. You know, I think there's the scale of, of HS2's arrival in the, in the region. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what, again, what, what catalyst that is for, for, mm -hmm. for growth um, in, in the city. Obviously, there's going to be a big change in how um, kind of office based staff you know, like Birmingham having a significant um, office um, kind of presence in the city centre, yeah. how that will influence travel, um, you know, if, if there is a blend of sort of people working more from home. Um, I think that will influence how, how travel um, and how what the travel patterns are within the city. Mm. I think mode-wise, I think there is still this, you know, as you said, the clean air zone, I think there will, you'll still see um, a, a kind of, uh, hesitancy initially of people going back onto mm. public transport but I think oh, in the longer term particularly things like Sprint and there's more metro routes um, and there is a bit more of a um, and I think generally people are saying that they don't need to to, to to drive as much in the sense of if they're going to core areas so you might mm. you'll start to see I do think you'll see a tailing off of of traffic um, levels but I think the choices will will, will be vastly increased 
And I think there will be, it's, it's not going to be anti-car, but I think it will be that whole pro-choice of how are you going to travel? And people will be expecting there to be a good pu public transport offering. And I think that over the next five to 10 years, we'll see that um, really start to take shape, particularly with the Metro extension. I think that brings visibility in you know, places like Digbeth, and you'll see that there will be more growth. So there'll be, it'll be interesting how the town centre, how town centres change, you know, with retail and all of those. So there's quite a, there's quite a, a mix of, of, of um, possibilities of, of, of change. But I think what we'll see is quite a dynamic city centre with lots of options for public transport and active travel. I think cycling and walking will become, a, 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 I'd like to see it become a bigger um, modal share of people. You know, it becomes more natural. You're not just seeing like clad people, um, you know, cyclists going around. You're actually just seeing people in their daily, you know, sort of, uh, you know, in their office clothes or whatever it is, yeah. you know, going to, whether it's the cinema, going to meet their friends, turning That's up on their, on their bike. Short trips, yeah. It's, it's doing the short trips, exactly that. And I think you'll see, um, a change in the city centre where you might see more people living in the city centre and those local trips being done on cycling and walking, you'll see less dominance, I think, of the motor vehicle in Birmingham city centre. I think across the um, across the wider city area, so you'll, you'll, you'll see more public transport priority. Um, and again, it will be, it's, it's not about, I say, banning the car or, or um, I think the car will become cleaner um but uh and you know obviously with electric vehicles but i think you'll see it used differently as well i mean particularly say if you things like see things like autonomous vehicles you know you call the car to, to come and collect you um i suppose there is that di dichotomy then of actually are there more trips placed on the network if i've got an electric car or autonomous car on my drive and i'm at work do you see people actually thinking oh well now i'm you know i'm at work the car will drop me off it goes back home parks on the drive and then comes back into town and picks me up and you know could there actually be this um could you actually see a few extra vehicles on the road but i think actually people will use their vehicles very differently i think people are becoming more environmentally aware and want to do their bit so i think as long as the region has got this public transport and choice offering for their how they travel you will see less people um in their vehicles um and and and, and you know you'll see people being more active and wanting to also shop a bit more locally as well so those need for yeah. those long, long longer journeys will be will be less but it certainly feels yeah it certainly feels like a, a shift and a change i don't know if that will be kind of a generational thing um or, or where people live uh, people live take certain types i mean i know where i grew up um over by longbridge licky hills kind of area catching the train was no big deal to me um i used to do it to college and university and things and but whereas i teach students in my class who have never touched a train in their life um because they've never needed to but yeah we, we chatted um, with another one of your colleagues uh, a few weeks back and, and the development of new train lines over Mosley, Kings Heath. So, you, you know, as things change and we become used to it and the environmental impact, which cannot be ignored. And, I, I, you know, let's hope that we do start to see that change. And uh, it's really exciting to, to see as somebody who's lived there and been down these same roads and streets, you know, my whole life. It's, it's really quite exciting to see. And your passions come through as well, hasn't it? You know, you can kind of feel your excitement and um, kind of love yeah. for what you do, which, which is great. Right. But I think I think what you say. I think there's still a long way, a long journey to, to, yeah, to actually. Yeah. Um, but I think we are on that journey now. People sort of wanting to, you know, they say, well, where I do, I don't want to drive all the time. Where are my options? And this yeah. is what the groundswell of kind of appetite for that change. I I feel is 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 is, is, is now is now brewing. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, um, I'm going to ask you one more question in a moment. You've mentioned things like volunteering. Um, you talked about the wide variety of careers in the transport industry, uh, which, again, is something that we need to raise awareness of for sure, because it's such a varied team that you work with. Um, but I wanted to take you back a bit. And if you could give yourself, this is my last question, by the way, and I haven't prepped you for it. So uh, apologies, I think. Uh, let's find out. So if you could go back to when you were 17 or 18 years old and give yourself some advice or you wish somebody had given you some advice that you'd really stuck by and listened to, what do you think that advice would be? Oh, I think that advice would very much be check, follow, follow your dream in the sense of go for your dream to start with and don't take no for an answer. I think for me, yes. uh, I was kind of, um, I, I think in hindsight, I... If, if somebody stopped me doing something, I would just then go and do something else. Whereas actually, I think there was some of the, 
um, area as well, I would have gone, no, actually, I can do this. And I would have proceeded in, um, in trying to, 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 to take that path. Uh, so, yeah, I would follow your heart a bit, but mm. don't take no for an answer. And um, yeah, really go for it. Don't don't put any barriers in the way. Just keep keep going. If you've got a if you've got an idea of what you want to do, then mm. just keep going at it until until you know until you get there basically. Um, okay. And whatever that might be, um, yeah. I've got I've got a a nephew now who's playing football in America because he would not say he would not take no for an answer. Not saying that wow. football is the way forward, but I'm just saying <laughs> that he's followed his dream and he's yeah. absolutely having a, a you know re, you know he's, he's learning out there, but he's also playing college football out there. And I just wow. think you know perhaps if you know if if I I'd done that I could have um, you know uh, uh, perhaps been even you know done even more than what I've done so far. But that's saying that I've, I've really enjoyed what I've done. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> we, re, you know, <laughs> I really appreciate it, and I know our listeners and viewers will as well. And thank you so much for taking the time. You know, if you t- again, like like you volunteered to do this, and uh, me and the listeners and watchers and things really appreciate it because you're giving such an insight into what's happened, happening, and is coming next as uh, Birmingham approaches this really, really exciting time, doesn't it? Commonwealth Games and all the changes going on and Birmingham and the West Midlands is, is going to look a lot different for the better. So thank you to you and your team as well for making it all happen. You know, hopefully we won't take you for granted so much. Um, so stay on the line. We'll, we'll have a quick chat at the end of this, uh, but for now, I'll just say uh, thanks for talking business. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you again sometime. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, thank you. Will and I had a little discussion at the end of this recording and we both said that we could talk about transport for hours and hours on end so I think we did pretty well there to keep it to 45-50 minutes and I hope that you found the insight that Will had really useful to you. Whether you're a student of business studies or if you're interested in geography or wherever you are you'll be using some kind of transport method so this applies to wherever you may be listening or watching this. So thank you very much to Will and thank you very much to all of you for listening, watching and engaging with this podcast and this video here. So if you'd like more talking business with Danny Pardo just have a look for Mr Pardo's Business or Pardo's Business on all your social media channels and I'll see you on there. And we'll see you again for another episode of Talking Business with Danny Pardo real soon. Thanks very much. Cheerio. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Business with me, Danny Pardo. I hope the advice and insights in this episode make a difference to you, your studies and your career. You can find more by searching for Pardo's Business, that's me by the way, on Google, YouTube and Instagram. I'm also at Pardo's Business on Twitter. If you like what you heard, please do take a moment to rate, review, share and subscribe to this podcast. It's all very much appreciated. We'll catch you again soon on the next episode of Talking Business with Danny Pardo. Thanks and cheerio!